0: fellowship, and love. Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless.
1: Hello, this is Chuck Coughlin again on Setting the Record Straight on BreadboxMedia.com. I'm reviewing a book today. This book is quite a publishing event. It's a bestseller already. This is a book that had to be written. I love this book. And I'm quite elated that this book has been issued. It's entitled, How Catholic Art Saved the Faith, The Triumph of Beauty and Truth in Counter-Reformation Art. It's by Elizabeth Lev. Lev is spelled L-E-V. At the front of the book, we see that people like Peggy Noonan, Newt Gingrich, Bishop Robert Barron, have written recommendations. Bishop Barron wrote this note to be included in the book. Many talk today about evangelization through beauty. In a series of finely crafted and absorbing essays, Elizabeth Lev actually demonstrates how at a crucial moment in the Church's history, artists use paintbrushes and chisels to proclaim the Gospel. This book will be extremely helpful for catechists, teachers, preachers, and I dare say for artists themselves. The point of the book is that not not long after Martin Luther's defiance of the Church, dialogue between Protestants and Catholics broke down and religious wars erupted across Europe. Desperate to restore the unity of faith, Catholic theologians turned to the arts to help reaffirm Catholic doctrines. Convinced that to win over the unlettered, the best place to fight heresy was not in the streets, but in stone and on canvas. They enlisted the best artists to create a glorious wave of beautiful works of sacred art, Catholic works of sacred art, to draw people together. So this book is the story of the vibrant visual arts SWAT team whose war cry could have been art for faith's sake. Over the years it included Michelangelo and great artists such as the edgy Caravaggio, the graceful Guido Reni, the technically perfect Annibale Carracci, the colorful Barocchi, the theatrical Bernini and many, many others. Each of these creative souls was a key player in this magnificent generations-long project. The affirmation through beauty of the, teachings of the teachings of the Holy Catholic Church. You know, the title of this book evokes that of another book, in an earlier book, by Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved Civilization. That's a quite remarkable book. This is perhaps even more so. And indeed, there was an explosion of creativity in what we call a counter-reformation. Of course, That term, counter-reformation, is hardly suitable because the great movement that was called the Protestant Reformation is actually a deformation of the faith. It created something new and different. The real Reformation was done by the Catholic Church. For every day of its 1,500 years of existence, before the so-called Reformation, the Catholic Church had been reforming itself and improving itself. The impetus of Martin Luther and Calvin and others arose from the ranks of those within the church who were working for reform within the church. One of those was Martin Luther, to start with. But it is, it is remarkable, and I've noticed it, in especially in the field of music, that in what is called the West, that cultural milieu that is Christendom or Catholicdom, created in Cluny in 910 A.D., as we talked about in a previous podcast, is characterized by art and architecture that is unparalleled, unmatched anywhere else in any other culture. Art of such variety and beauty and magnificence that it astounds anyone who's familiar with art of the world, comparative art of the world. Nothing comes close to it yet. The creativity in every field has no parallel anywhere else on earth. It towers above everything else in every field of art. This tremendous efflorescence that began in the 1500s One would think that there's a hidden connection between the Catholic Church and creativity itself. Perhaps there is. There is certainly a lot of evidence that it is so. Much of it talked about in this book. To pick just one of the wonderful chapters, chapter 20 is entitled The Dignity of Women in the Catholic Restoration. In this chapter, it is pointed out that the first phase of the Reformation was not particularly good to women despite the fact that many Protestant churches would later champion women's ordination. However, the elimination of Mary's role as supreme intercessor, the abolition of women's religious orders, indeed Martin Luther married a nun, and the rejection of the female martyrs of the paleo-Christian era as mere legends and fantasies, left women of the age without role models or guides in the complicated waters of late Renaissance society. Luther freed women from the confines of religious life only to confine their actions and authority to the hearth. Calvin wrote that women ought to be subject to men for two reasons, quote, because not only did God enact this law at the very beginning, but he also inflicted it as a punishment on the woman. The Catholic Church had the advantages of centuries of Marian veneration and a liturgical calendar filled with holidays celebrating heroic and holy women. And the church also knew, much like the advertisers today, that nothing sells better than a beautiful woman. Depictions of women, often created by women, flourished in this age, not only as biblical heroines, but also as models of new ways in which women could use their unique gifts to spread the Gospels. One surprise in reading this book was that it re-evoked certain thoughts that have populated my recent podcasts. One is about the West. What is the West? Is it Christendom or is it Catholicdom? How the abundance and beauty of the art that has uniquely and especially arisen in what is called the West. The West. Christendom, Catholicdom. The other thought is that God is the creator. And he creatively inspired unparalleled beauty to assemble and be expressed in earthly form from the hearts, minds, spirits, hands, and voices of the West, of the people of the West. If anything, mankind can be described as an immensely creative group of creatures. Other animals have many of its characteristics. But man is so creative that it sends one into speculations that perhaps God delights in our creations. Perhaps he quite enjoys and takes a very special delight in what his children create. A few podcasts back, we were talking about Notre-Dame-du-Paris and one of those podcasts was entitled, Will Notre-Dame-du-Paris Dissolve? And the answer, yes, it will. Because at the end of time, all the elements will dissolve. The universe will dissolve. But as I observed in that podcast, perhaps it's not the end. Perhaps something very like Notre-Dame-du-Paris Will reoccur in heaven. Or something very much like it will occur. Something of the same logos, image, and pattern will occur and occur and occur in endless iterations of that beautiful pattern that is given to us by God. Allow me to propose an image of what we will be doing in heaven that is a lot of fun. A heaven that is a lot of fun. Bishop Robert Barron, at that time, did a podcast in which he talked about in the beginning was the Logos, the image, the pattern. That's right. He added the word pattern to the Logos and the image. Not only we, but our souls and our creativity are, I think, created in the image, in the image of God's creativity, in the pattern of God's creativity so that we really don't lose the cathedral since it's only one representation of that pattern and will change and reoccur again. In the beginning was the pattern, the logos, the image, and we are that image. So in that sense, perhaps what heaven is like is a little different than the usual stolid place where we quietly just witness God. And of course, such witnessing in the form of the mass, would be incomparably magnificent, but perhaps other things would occur too. It's perhaps God delights in witnessing us in what we can do with the grace of his incredibly creative fire. And we add our individual touch to it, our version of the pattern. Perhaps this heaven is very active. It's really a place of immense creativity, way beyond what we're doing here on earth. And we do recreate Gothic cathedrals there again and again improving them each time, and the pattern is repeated. Perhaps one aspect of heaven is God sitting there delighted at what his redeemed children can dream up, acting on God's dream. And I can imagine what an inspired and lovely place that would be when one thinks about the Catholic composers riding at a white-hearted fury at their desks, because most of the great composers were Catholic. I'm sure you're aware of that. And most of them wrote very devout music. that was an expression of that. Perhaps in heaven, we will have a lot of fun creating a lot of music, a lot of art, a lot of new cathedrals, because it is a physical place. Our bodies are going to be resurrected and glorified and assumed into heaven. I know I'm imagining a heaven that is a beehive of joyous activity with God taking great delight and rich amusement in all that his children create. I like to think it's something like that as well as sitting and contemplating God himself. Perhaps the conversation goes on. God, for his part, enjoys sitting and contemplating what we're up to. God is the creator. So if we're created in his image, we should expect to create beauty for God's delight. Don't miss buying this book. The book itself is the thing of great beauty. Every page or other page has glorious in-color reproductions of the great works of the Counter-Reformation period, the paintings, photographs of architecture. The last section of the book goes into subjects like doubt, pilgrimages, globalization, empiricism and faith, the blood of martyrs is the seat of the church, the war on sin, that kind of thing. It's a very beautiful book. It would make a great gift for anyone. Too many Catholics today have a very shallow and narrow, and even inverted idea of our own history. They have a little concept of how much of what we value about our world today. Actually, most of what we consider the best of our world today is the contribution of Catholics inspired by God. And the cathedrals are one form of these. Recently, in a YouTube lecture at Prager University, Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson discussed Gothic cathedrals and belief in God. Jordan Peterson is not a Catholic. He doesn't claim to be, he doesn't even claim to, he refuses to comment on whether he believes in God or not. But he's very much somebody like C.S. Lewis. People sometimes refer to them as front porch Catholics. He constantly evokes Catholic themes. In the middle of that conversation, he said something rather extraordinary that I want to include here. And it starts with his thoughts, inspired by Catholic cathedrals, Gothic cathedrals. Here is Jordan Peterson.
0: Catholicism, you know, I've gone through lots of Catholic cathedrals in Europe, and of course there's stunning creations and but they're gothic and strange and the doctrine is eerie and and complex and surreal. And, and and the biblical writings are the same. You think of a book like Revelation, for example. But I think that the Catholicism that's as sane as people can get. You know, broadly speaking, is that we need a metaphysic, a narrative metaphysic to hold us together, and it has to be predicated on something that's transcendent and absolute. And and if you lose that, then you'll fall for something else. You'll fall for something else, or you'll fall for nothing, which is is no, no better. And I learned that from reading Nietzsche, and I learned that from reading Dostoevsky. And this is the problem with the rationalists, like Sam Harris and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the atheists, Dawkins. Now, they believe that if we dispensed with our superstitions, we'd all become Harris and Dawkins. <laughs> rational beings devoted towards the good. However, we conceptualize that for rational reasons, and I don't believe that because I don't believe that we are irrational beings fundamentally. I think we're deeply irrational. It's amazing that we can all sit in this room together without tearing ourselves into shreds.
1: You're probably aware that Jordan Peterson is considered the most prominent intellectual in the world today. And listen to what he said. I'll repeat part of it. He said he had been going through lots of Catholic cathedrals in Europe and he said they're stunning creations, but they're Gothic, eerie and strange. The doctrine is eerie and complex, surreal. But biblical writings such as Revelations are the same. But I think that Catholicism, he said, is as sane as people can get. On BreadboxMedia.com, I'm Chuck Coughlin, setting the record straight.
0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.